We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. For boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit winbet.com. That's W-H-N-N-Bet.com to start winning. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always my co-host, Nick Pilato. And the day has finally arrived. Oh, yes, sir. I am excited for this one. We are doing the NFL draft profile of Leo Chanel, linebacker out of Wisconsin University. Some might call it linebacker you. I had one of you trolls. No, you're not a troll. You're a nice guy. And we've had some great conversation on Twitter. But I had one of you come at me and say, it's not linebacker you. What about Zach Bond? Well, for every Zach Bond, there's an Andrew Van Ginkle. And for every Van Ginkle, there is a Leo Chanel, who has more upside than any linebacker, I think, to, and to come out of Wisconsin since T.J. Watt. Not the same position, not the same player as T.J. Watt, obviously. T.J. Watt is maybe the best defensive player not named Aaron Donald in football, some might say. But... I love the upside of Leo Chanel, and I've been on the Leo Chanel train for a long time now as a Badger fan, and it's been fun to watch this ride because guess what? As we're going to hear about shortly, Nick Filato's on the train too, and as some of you know who listen to Talking Giants, Bobby Skinner on that train as well. A lot of people originally like, ah, maybe this guy's a third rounder, and I was saying, you know what? I'll take him at 36 overall because I really feel like not only can he be one of the best 36 players in this class, he can be an unbelievable and immediate fit for this Giants defense under Wink Barndale. He is literally the cookie cutter perfect fit for this defense. So before we get into, before you let me just spew it, because I could go 15 minutes straight in this intro just talking about Leo Chanel, who's not without some warts, which we'll get to. But before we do any of that, Nick Filato, how are you doing today, my friend? What's going on? Dude, a one five five ten 10-yard split for Leo Chanel. <laughs> no, I'm doing good, man. I do like this kid a lot, but I was going to say, man, I think the Giants going to take Trey McBride over him. <laughs> yeah, and that's the that was kind of my point in the last podcast. Like talking, imagine taking Trey McBride over Leo Chanel because of, and that's not even a positional value thing. Like part of the Leo Chanel knock is the positional value thing. But my God, I can't even imagine taking an athlete like Trey McBride over Leo Chanel. But we're not going to do that, right? 
I don't know. I mean, I like Trey McBride more than you, but dude, Leo Chanel and the thought of him with Wink Martindale, it seems just like it makes so much sense. And we talked about this, the the similarities between Wink Martindale system and what Jim Leonard does with the Wisconsin Badgers and what Jim Leonard did with Leo Chanel. Now imagine that at the NFL level, you're talking about a six foot three, 250 pound dude who is downhill, very, very physical, heavy handed. And I think he would be a just giant fan favorite if he comes to new york oh my god he would be an immediate fan favorite if he comes to new york and i want to talk a little bit about what you touched on because leo chanel built like one and plays like kind of an old school 1990s type of linebacker and in what world would you want that on your roster in 2022 no world we've been trying to get away from those days the dave gettleman you know you got to run the football stop the run thumper thumpers we didn't want that we were just went through that it didn't work but then he comes up and he shows up in his combine and he proves to a lot of people what I saw watching him on tape that while he was used in a specific type of role and he did really well in that specific type of role, that doesn't mean that's all he can be. He showed off athleticism that suggests, you know what, maybe this guy can be a three down linebacker. Maybe this guy can be one of the best linebackers in my mind at the upsides there in the NFL. Yeah, I said it, Nick. He showed up. And what did he do? 94th percentile broad jump and 96th percentile vertical jumps. That's insano athleticism. Captain Insano shows no mercy. Shows off his explosiveness as an athlete. Then a 91st percentile among linebackers, 40-yard dash. And the speed, that's obvious on tape. You watch him come downhill, you see it. But the key thing here, and this is something the Giants started unlocking a few years ago, starting with... The Connolly pick, the Ryan Connolly pick, also out of Wisconsin, by the way, of course, of course. I know the injury kind of sat Ryan Connolly's career. It is what it is. But something they started to figure out, and before Connolly, it was another player who broke out the year before, that 10-yard split for linebackers. It's so important, that 10-yard split, because it showed, that's that's what they do. If you're a linebacker, the 10-yard box, of, in my mind at least, that's where you where it's most important. What can you do within that 10-yard frame? And obviously, within Wink Martindale's defense, and obviously this is the same is true for anyone who's watched the Wisconsin Badgers within Jem Leonard's defense, another aggressive, very similar to Martindale style defense. Having that ability to quickly move downhill is so important. And one thing you mentioned, Nick, which we'll get to soon, because I'm about to ask you your opinion on his strengths. It's the hands. I mean, he's such violent hands. I know he can get a little bit better with his hand technique, and I'm sure you're going to go over that. But you see so many examples of those violent hands. He's firing downhill at the line of scrimmage, and then he just tosses away using his hands, whatever blocker is there, both as a blitzer where he had eight sacks, and then also obviously as a missile coming downhill in the run game. I'm so excited we're going to get to talk about Leo Chanel. But let me let you start right now by talking about some of the tape you watch and some of the strengths. Before we get to the weaknesses, some of the strengths that you saw on Leo Chanel's film. So you brought up his size. That is a strength in and of itself because we don't see guys who are 250 pounds, six foot two linebackers these days. And reportedly he played, you know, even heavier around 260. Now, not to start with some cold water, the four, five, three, I get going downhill. I do believe that he is much better when he is going downhill and he's not as fluid when he's moving laterally. And I would like to get your opinion on that. So actually let me, let me, Start with that, but then make this one point, and then you can weigh in. When he is going downhill, I feel like he shows exceptional bend in his waist to evade blocks. There are so many times when he's penetrating the C, the B, the A gap. It doesn't matter. He's blitzing, and he creates tackle for loss opportunities. Huge plays for the defense. 
but the offensive lineman is right there to block him. But he sinks that six foot two frame and he keeps this low profile and his low center of gravity and he bends at the waist and just avoids clean contact. And if you don't get clean contact on Leo Chanel, if you only just kind of touch him, he's going to run right through it because he's so damn strong and so damn balanced and has such great body control. Now, Weigh in on the on the, the slight stiffness of moving laterally, and if you agree with everything I just said. So actually, I agree with literally everything you said. So we'll start with the slight moveness moving laterally. The slight stiffness to say moving laterally. That's obvious on his tape, and I think if he didn't have that, he'd be talked about in my mind as a potential top fifteen pick in this draft. Especially if you start to get a little bit more creative, which I want to get to shortly after this, with what his role could be on a defense, which in my mind can expand beyond. In some ways, and beyond what we've seen in Wisconsin, and in some ways, reminds me a little bit, and we'll get to this, of what the Cowboys did with Micah Parsons. I just want to get to this in a little bit, so I don't want I'm teasing it now. But when we get to it, we'll talk about why Wink Martindale, by the way, uses blitzers from a lot of different positions on his defense. There's a lot of guys at the line of scrimmage a lot of times. Some bail, some drop, some attack from different positions. What could be a better fit for someone who has that unbelievably quick first step and someone who has those violent hands? And like you said, that ability to evade blockers with his athleticism, not just with his lightning quick first step. Who does that remind you of? Like, what does that remind you of from the inside linebacker position? Then you talk about his frame. He's a big thumping type of linebacker, but also just an athletic, crazy athletic, athletic linebacker for his size, six foot three, 255 with the ability to run a 40 yard dash, in the 91st percentile among linebackers and a 10 yard split in the 87th percentile with those vertical jumps, vertical and broad jumps. Like that's an explosive sizing, sizable, like big, you know, strong athlete. And to me, that shows in my mind, which we're going to get to some potentially elite down the line, or maybe even soon, who knows, pass rushing trades. And what do you need for that? You need a coach who's going to use you in unique ways and going to and going to focus in on what you do best, which in my mind is moving downhill. And what can that help you most as an NFL team? Well, it can help you in the run games. He's really good there, but can also help you as a pass rusher. So I will agree. He's not the best athlete from a, uh, he's not the best lateral athlete. His lateral agility isn't amazing. Like he didn't have a 91st percentile three cone drill or 91st percentile short shuttle and moving backwards might be an issue for him early on. But I'm curious, Nick, if maybe the Giants can get creative with this thing and use him in a role that will kind of limit his exposure in many ways to that, whether that be as that downhill guy in the run game, but also maybe a potential option as an edge pass rusher. It doesn't even have to be the edge, but I think you could get away with that. Now, you look at edge rushers typically, and you look at edge rushers with 31-inch arms, which is what Leo Chanel has, it's not great. But then you look at Micah Parsons last year. Now, he's a longer type of guy than a Leo Chanel. But his arms are only a half an inch longer. His was only 31 right. and a half inches. So I think the length could work against Leo Chanel, but it didn't necessarily hinder Micah Parsons, although I think Micah Parsons is probably even a, a, just a better athlete on tape than a Leo yes. Chanel. Yes. Uh, and then, again, this is high praise. Micah Parsons is uh, somebody who had one of the best rookie seasons of any defensive player. Like, Ever. So, Ever, literally. Yeah, and I'll, we're not making apples-to-apples comparison here with Chanel, but it's the implementation of how you want to utilize his skill set. And I think Chanel is smart enough to drop into coverage. I think he can drop into zones. And uh, there were a couple of plays on tape where he you know, executed a robot technique, which is you know, roll over and back. So it's play action. You pursue the run, and then you 
notice, oh crap, they're throwing the ball. So then you just turn around, you find the crosser coming into your zone and just attach to him. There were a couple of plays of him executing that technique, which is a more fluid type of technique. Again, I don't think he's a dynamic mover in space when he has to do those things, but I think like the word that we've been using a lot with the Joe Shane additions to the New York Giants, I think it's functional enough that it's not going to be a liability. But then you talk about how you can use him on third downs in these blitzing situations with one of the most aggressive defensive play callers in the National Football League. And you think about how you can stack him behind a nose tackle. You can have him over the bubble uncovered. It doesn't matter because of that lightning quickness at the snap to explode into gaps and then dip through contact and be disruptive. He has all of those things within his skill set, within his wheelhouse. And man, I I just love the thought process and of adding him to this defense. And I think, like we said earlier, man, it, it would be absolutely amazing. Yeah, and you think about it, like, in addition to those things you mentioned, which are all super important, like I said, the lightning quick first step, the ability to bend and evade, and obviously the heavy hands, he's also, like, part of it is that third thing that we didn't, we, you know, that we, you know, not always being talked about. It's that ability to punch the, to pack the punch moving downhill and potentially convert speed to power as a pass rusher. And obviously as a run defender as well, when he's coming downhill, but let's just talk about and focus on what matters, right? What wins and loses football games, passing offense and passing defense wins and loses Super Bowls, passing offense and passing defense. It's that potential as a pass rusher to convert speed to power and become a weapon there, regardless if it is off the edge, right? Like regardless if they do kind of like, ooh, look at what the Cowboys did with Micah Parsons. We can do the same kind of thing. Or if they're just like, oh, look, I'm Mike Martindale and I've already found plenty of examples on Chanel's tape of him being an incredibly effective pass rusher from the inside. I've done it in the past with the Ravens. I can do it again immediately with the Giants if Chanel's here. Even if it's that, the point is, we've been saying for years right now, all the anytime we go back and forth on the debate, what's more important, pass coverage or pass rush in the NFL, I always hear Giants fans like, what the hell, man? I watched that Tom Brady, that game against the Bucks last year and that game against the Chiefs. The Giants couldn't even get to Brady. They couldn't even get to Mahomes. Every time it was third down, they couldn't do anything about it. Well, now on third and long, you immediately add who in my mind might be, if let's say they miss on pass rusher in round one, their best pass rusher on the roster. Like I like Aziz Ojolari. I have no, this is not meant as disrespect for Aziz Ojolari, but to me, he's more of like somebody who's going to have to be a tactician. I didn't think his burst was unbelievable in his first year in the NFL. I didn't think it translated all that well. I thought he was a solid player for sure. Obviously the sack numbers were there. I thought at times he lost as a pass rusher though, but I honestly feel like Chanel has a chance to be an even better weapon as a pass rusher right away for the Giants. And what do they need? They really need weapons in this pass defense game. Absolutely, dude. And watch how they used him against Arizona State, too. Even if you don't blitz him, he could still be an impact player and not have to drop into coverage just by being a quarterback spot. If we watch how a lot of teams, especially the Bengals, they played Patrick Mahomes and they had success against him. They were rushing three and then dropping one into a shallow type of zone. But his main objective was to spy and then to contain once they flush out of the pocket. There were at least four plays against Arizona State who had a very, very mobile quarterback where Leo Chanel did that. And once number five, they were both number five, the quarterback and Leo Chanel broke out of the pocket, five on defense, just tracked him down and forced an incompletion or even a sack. So like I look at Chanel in that game just in general, and I'm like, dude, this guy has the ability to make an impact as a pass rusher without even initially pass rushing. If Wink Martindale wants to utilize him in that way, which seems to be a way that a lot of smart defensive coordinators were utilizing players like him who were athletic enough to execute those things. And if the traits that you need to do that effectively is that quick 
Twitch. I'm coming downhill, zero to 100, and he has that. Yeah, without a doubt. There's a few more things I want to talk about that make me lead me to believe that Leo Chanel is going to be a really good player in the NFL and the perfect fit for the Giants defense and my number one target at number 36 overall, no matter who is on the board. And yes, that is including offensive linemen. Don't really care who drops. And I'll get into this. I'll make my case. Obviously, some of you may think I'm biased. I get it. Look, I've been high on Wisconsin players in the past. I was high on Zach Bond, who I feel like hasn't really gotten a great chance in New Orleans. And I never thought that was a good system fit for him in the first place. I didn't really understand why they specifically drafted him and system fit. And supporting cast and obviously opportunity can be a factor in you not making a jump. But there's going to be misses occasionally. But we're going to get to why I like Chanel so much. But before we do that, I do want to get give you a chance to either talk about any more strengths you saw on tape that you didn't uh, get a chance to talk about, anything you wanted to bring up from the film, or if not, transition to the weaknesses and the concerns you have watching him on tape. Yeah, I think he's does an excellent job securing tackles. I think he's a very, very smart pass rusher as well. A play against Iowa, it was in the second quarter, 12-13 left, where he was stacked. So what stack means pre-snap is you are aligned, you know, two, three yards behind a defensive lineman. So he was stacked in this first and 10 situation over the nose. And at the snap, he starts rushing to the left, which gets the guard to open to his right. And then right before the nose contacts the center, he breaks to his right and there's a wide open a gap. So no one accounts for him. So it's just like little subtle things like that manipulate protection because that guard saw he went left initially and was like, okay, well, I'm just going to step over here and block this way. I'm going to look for work in this direction. Chanel just totally played him on that game. And it ended up being a sack for Leo Chanel and another teammate of his and I feel like he does little things like that when rushing the passer that are very, very smart. He's also just very, very tough competitively. You can see it all throughout his tape. Like I said before, he's a very, very good tackler, thumps people. In terms of some of those weaknesses, I think he, like I said, a little bit raw and covered specifically, man, but I think it will be functional and it can grow. He's still a young player. The lateral uh, stiffness, I think you see when he's dropping into coverage and asked to, to drop, it's a little bit evident. I don't think it's a glaring issue, but it's something that has to be acknowledged and I think overall when he is playing the run he gets a little bit too aggressive and he'll over pursue sometimes which will leave him a little bit susceptible to play action passes or misdirections because he'll outrun his gap to try to make a play I think all that stuff is coachable but it is things that I I saw pop up on his film and I want to focus in on the last thing you said and get your opinion on this potential I don't know if takes the right word but this potential caveat for that so I agree that was definitely evident on his tape at times but do you think part of that has to do with the coaching aspect of what Jim Leonard asked of him? Because I've seen him, I saw an interview of him uh, from this past summer in August where he talked about how like the biggest thing that he wants to make a jump in his game is in, instead of being kind of um, what's called hesitant is to see a gap and shoot a gap, see the gap he thinks is going to be there and shoot the gap and be really aggressive in going downhill and shooting the gap. So you think part of that is what he is, is how he was coached there? Or do you think it's more of just an issue with kind of that, that can't be fixed? No, absolutely. Part of that is how he was coached. If that's what Jim Leonard wanted him to do, he's going to listen to his coach. And that's something that you have to kind of derive out of the film when you watch it, especially if it's something you consistently see. And you got to look at other aspects of this player's game and be like, does he make dumb decisions a lot or does he seem to know where he has to be and what to do? 
And with Leo Chanel, it definitely seems that way. So I think his coach is telling him to be over aggressive because, you know, I'll take a bunch of negative runs and then, you know, maybe one play that could pick up a first down, but those negative runs are going to put that offense into a high stress position. When you have someone like Leo Chanel, you kind of want to utilize him that way. And one other slight weakness that I saw was, I don't know. I felt like there were times I have it written down in my report, changing direction with momentum isn't a strength despite his elite testing. And I, and I put that down because I, I saw he ran a six, eight, four, three cone. And I think that's, you know, just an amazing time, but there were times where I felt like he was coming downhill and he went to go change direction and he didn't necessarily always make the tackle. Uh, one against Arizona state against Daniels, the quarterback that really comes to my mind uh, where he, executed a great pursuit angle downhill and he really did his job he boxed daniels inside and that's enough for me to be honest but you see elite type of prospects make that kind of tackle sometimes because he did take a path outside to box him inside which again goes to the processing processing that's a smart play so i think i saw maybe one other time to where i just thought it's not elite but i only point that out because he ran a six eight four three cone which is teetering on elite yeah and I want to touch on that concern and then mix it in with another concern you mentioned. I want to start by saying I completely agree with you. The 6.843 cone that he timed at, it doesn't show up when I'm watching him. I think it's a little inflated. And you're, you got again, you're going to see inflated times that don't really show up on the film. Like, I thought the same was true. So we talked about last podcast with, with um, like I said, to me, McBride doesn't look anywhere near a 4.53, 40 type of athlete. But as far as Chenault goes with the issues with change of direction, which I think are in my mind and your mind, clearly viable and a concern regardless of the three cone he tested. I'm curious how you think it translates in coverage. So, because I want to talk about it like this. Two years ago before the injury, let's talk about the, I'm talking about the 2020 season here, Nick. Blake Martinez was a player in the middle of that Giants defense with a huge role who I felt embraced and developed within Patrick Graham's system into a average to above average zone coverage linebacker. But in man, I still thought he was a liability, like most inside backers are. I know very few inside backers that I've watched who aren't liabilities against these super quick running backs in man coverage. And so ultimately, if Blake Martinez does move on, if the Giants move on for Blake Martinez after next year, and Leo Chanel, and let's say they draft Leo Chanel, and then he steps into a big-time role like Blake Martinez served in that 2020 season, can he be someone who his change of direction is going to limit him as both a man and zone coverage backer, or will it kind of just be, he'll never be that great dominant elite man coverage linebacker, which I don't really think is important because it's impossible to find a, it's very, not many teams are like relying on these te- constant dose of Texas routes and like running backs, just dominating linebackers in one-on-one routes, wheels and Texas, whatever it may be. And so can he evolve at eventually at least uh, kind of develop into the level of coverage linebacker that Blake Martinez was for the giants in 2020? Yeah, I think the level of Blake Martinez, which wasn't only by any stretch of the imagination, but I don't even think that's the best way to use him. I think he can drop and he can do those things. With the change of direction issue, I, I don't even know if issue is the right word. I think some of it is that he's moving too fast for his own good. But a lot of the plays, the missed tackles that he has, he's positioning himself in a position to force that ball carrier or quarterback back towards his teammates. So it's not even a, a, a huge issue. I, I do kind of right. think it's just he, to coming to balance after going from zero to a hundred, there's just a little bit of a hitch there to where it's not overly smooth, but like, I don't know where to put that up in a, in a conversation about concerns when you're still executing an assignment and allowing your teammates to rally and make a tackle. 
Exactly. And that's a big part of the Jim Leonard defense. And I assume that it will be a big part of the Wink Barndale defense because there's so many similarities. A lot of what they did at Wisconsin was kind of beat. And this is something he could do such a good job because he has, like we talked about, that elite 10-yard split, that elite first step, that elite movement and speed and power downhill. But force the, the, you know, force the play back inside for the defense to rally. That's a big part of what they did at Wisconsin. They've been doing since Jim Leonard was there even before that with Dave Aranda. It's been the same thing for a long time there. And so, like you said, like, is that even a weakness? I don't know. I'm not even sure if that's a concern with this guy. And, and it goes into the over-pursuing because there were times where he would over-pursue, but he was over-pursuing to get outside. Right. And I felt like there were times where he also went into the tackle point a little bit high. Like uh, I remember a play against Notre Dame where Kyron Williams caught a little pass in the flat and he darted out to the outside portions of Kyron Williams and then went to go tackle him high, slid off. Technically a missed tackle, but guess what? Kyron Williams went nowhere because there were a bunch of teammates there to rally because the way Leo Chanel positioned himself. So it's like like you were saying, like like we were just saying, bro, I don't think it's as glaring of an issue. I think you got to look at the things he can do and the things that he does offer, all the stuff we've been talking about throughout this podcast, translated to the NFL. All those things are translatable. Can it be cleaned up? Is he a little raw with some things? Sure. But I don't think they are going to hinder his ability to have success in the NFL. I want to talk about two things now on the flip side of that, and that's strengths, that's projection, that's ultimately the ceiling with Chanel. And I want to talk about from two different ways. I want to start with the pass rushing and then move on to the run defense. So from the pass rushing standpoint, what's interesting so much with Chanel to me is that he really didn't become this aggressive and productive pass rusher until this final season with Wisconsin. I remember in that interview, that's something he wanted to talk about, just trusting things more and kind of just not hesitating as much. And ultimately, his athleticism and his natural ability kind of took over this year because he had eight sacks. And it's not just the sacks. He was top 10 in pass wash win rate. And that's, you know, incredible for a linebacker at his on the inside at in a 23.5% pass rush uh, win rate from somebody who took 585 snaps in the box and only 21 snaps in the slot and that and one snap on the line of scrimmage. Like this was mostly a inside backer with that kind of win rate. His pass rush grade according to pro football focus. These are all numbers according to PFF was 91.8. So I ultimately feel like the ceiling for him is that he can become like one of the better pass rushers on the Giants and potentially just like an absolute weapon as a pass rusher at the NFL level, especially when you mix him with a coordinator who's not afraid to use him as a pass rusher from a variety in a variety of different ways and from a, a variety of different alignments pre-snap. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I don't think that's unfair at all. And I think if he were to be a New York Giant, Wink Martindale is going to use him in that manner. Like if he were to go to the Giants and not have success and it wasn't due to injuries, that that would be a, a shame. It's not like it would be because he was being misused because Wink Martindale probably looks at this guy's tape and says, yeah, I can do a lot with someone like that. It's just do the Giants value that as highly as as some other players that will be around at 36, similar to the Trey McBride conversation and they might look at linebackers who are going to be around a little bit later and say I think that guy can do something similar to Leo Chanel and we can get him you know two three rounds after I think that's going to be the conversation on draft I don't know if there's going to be another linebacker in this class who can do something similar two three rounds later let alone one round later well I mean obviously it's not going to be a one for one type of trade it's just can I scheme this up enough to have enough to provide the value that maybe not as much as Leo Chanel can provide, but it would be comparable given this other player that's on the board that we also want to bring into our defense. Yeah. I don't know. I just, I'm not, I'm not sure if I'm going to see it. I know what you're saying completely. And obviously there are players who we haven't, I haven't looked at, but when you just think about the profile, in addition to the production, I just don't know. I think he's a real, that's kind of why I like him so much at 36 overall for the giants. I think he's a very unique prospect in this specific class. That combination, I don't really see. Like Quay Walker, someone I'm super interested in. I want to get to eventually. I really like him. He's not really the same player, though. And while I think he's super underrated, and in my mind, I'd rather have him than Nicobe Dean, which we can talk about on another date, because I know that's a super hot take, but I just feel like his style and his play translates a lot better to the NFL game. I just don't see him in that same regard. And I want to talk about another thing with Chanel that gets me so excited about him and kind of why I'm even mentioning him in that regard as kind of that unicorn type prospect within this class at that position at that inside linebacker position is the fact that and again this is not gospel but pro football focus gave him the third highest run defense grade that they've ever given to an off-ball linebacker and number one and number two in that nick were mika parsons micah parsons and reuben foster and for those who don't remember it was only off-field stuff that slowed down Reuben Foster. Reuben Foster was an immediate hit at the NFL level, was immediately an impact linebacker and one of the best players at a position in the NFL. Obviously, the same was true about Micah Parsons. The off-field stuff happened with Foster. His career's over, whatever. But to be in that class of linebacker from a run defense standpoint, Micah Parsons and Reuben Foster, like this means that, in my mind at least, it says that he'll immediately step in and be a force for the Giants as a downhill run defender. And in a lot of ways... The run defense took a step back in my mind last year. And not only did it take a step back in last year, what in my mind it's, has been plaguing them with the run game, and you could speak to this if you agree or disagree, Nick, over the last two seasons, even in 2020 when I thought the run defense was obviously a lot better with Blake Martinez, has been runs to the outside. That's where they get killed, to the outside. I feel like he can immediately help them on in that regard. And, you know, with even like you said, even when he's over pursuing, let's say that just general speed and quick first step is something they haven't had at that second level in the instincts, something they haven't had. Like Blake Martinez has great linebacker instincts, but he doesn't have the first step. He doesn't have, you know, the speed, the general raw speed that Leo Chanel has. 
And to be able to help them in that regard, like stopping the thing that's been plaguing them, those outside zone runs and just any runs to the outside, even if he over pursues and kicks it back inside for the defensive line or Blake Martinez to clean up. I think he immediately helps the defense in that way more than a lot of players that they're going to be able to get in that second round range. And you also got to look at what Wink Martindale can do with Leo Chanel on stunts, which and oh, twists, yeah. which is another big part of what Chanel can offer the Giants and another big part of what Martindale wants to do if he's not going to bring extra pressure, if he wants to drop them into coverage to help out the guys on the back end. Chanel, man, he keeps those loops so tight. So you have Dexter Lawrence, who is going to take out a guard. And you have Chanel loop from like the, you know, where the center is around the guard. Watch Chanel how he bends, how he lowers his shoulder, and how he maintains that body control. I, it's very, very fluid, the, the, his ability to do that in his lower half, which doesn't necessarily translate when he's dropping back into coverage, like we talked about with some lateral stiffness before. But when he is going forward, dude, he keeps that loop so damn tight. And that could be such a weapon when the Giants decide they only want to bring four. And it will never happen, Nick. But I was just thinking about this harebrained idea in my head. Like, a player like Chanel, six foot three, two fifty. He's gonna probably play around two fifty five or maybe two fifty. Like he's gonna play at this lower weight. Ran, runs the four five three. Has insane o vertical jump, insane o broad jump. Has that three cone, which we don't kind of agree with, honestly. To be completely honest, we think he's a little stiffer than that. This to me, like my hairbrain idea is like you bring him in. He's such a good athlete. I feel like you can use him in the red zone as a tight end on a team like the Giants that have zero at tight end at this point, besides Ricky Seals Jones and whatever they draft. Like you can bring this guy in. Obviously, not year one, and this is probably never going to happen. This rarely happens in the NFL. You don't see these two way type of guys. And I'm not even saying he would be two way full time, but. I just feel like he's this type of sicko athlete that can help you on offense too, in some regard. It's just, I just like watching him. I think he's that style. I think he's that level athlete. That would be something crazy. Now I can't speak to that because we, we have never seen that, but that'd be something, man. If he had longer arms, it would it'd probably be true. He probably better. need a little bit longer arms, but that vert, that explosiveness from the broad, the speed, the size, the just pure athleticism. I don't know, man. It's just, just a harebrained idea, but that's and not the focus. The focus another here. thing too, man, it's just his ability to run through running backs. Oh yeah. Now, he, did, he did that at college, but he can do that at the end. Like a lot of running backs aren't that great in pass protection. And you watch some of these sacks that he had, the one against Minnesota, the one against Northwestern. Literally, he looped around because Leonard is just a mastermind at scheming. And he had a free run at the quarterback, but the offense had a six-man protection package. And so it's that running back's job to try and pick up Leo Chanel when he's running at you full steam. Best of freaking luck. And he ran through both of those guys and sacked the quarterbacks. And that's going to really stress Offensive protection packages. I just think he is a nuisance in that area, and he would literally make offensive coordinators want to pull their hair out whenever he's flying downhill like that. And it's music to my ears to hear you say Jim Leonard is a mastermind in his defensive schemes. I think everyone knows that who watches Wisconsin football, and that takes out the homerism aspect of it for me saying it when you say it, Nick. So great. Good to hear. I think Wink Martindale's on that spectrum too, though, and that's exciting because they run similar defenses. But like you said, he's immediately – going to be a nuisance for these running backs in pass protection. We know firsthand, having watched Saquon Barkley, when running backs are bad in pass protection, it can screw a lot of things up for your offense. And Leo Chanel is going to blow up these running backs in pass protection. Moving downhill at 255 with 453 speed and that insane 10 yard split coming right at you with physical hands. He's just going to light you up as a running back if you're not sound in pass protection. And so few running backs are these days. And so few running backs are anywhere near his size these days. 
that I think that's immediately where you'll see Wink Martindale if the Giants draft him. Like, look, we're going to just expose these running backs in pass protection. We got the guy to do it, and he's not afraid. He has done it before, and he has his hair on fire, and he'll run right through you. And also think about when you're as creative as Wink Martindale, what you can do if you land that twice and kill two offensive drives, then that offense is going to try and account for Leo Chanel and be a little bit scared of him. And that's going to allow pressure to come from every which corner that Wink Martindale wants to bring it. I just think it gives the the defense a lot of flexibility. And like we said, Patrick Graham wasn't as much of a defensive coordinator who wanted to dictate, but man, Wink Martindale wants to dictate and dictate he shall. Yeah, he will. And one more thing I want to talk about, and you talked about the Iowa tape. A lot of people have watched that one. Uh, and I think both Iowa games over the last two years have been interesting, especially because, you know, they have the type of guys who generally translate well to the NFL from an offensive line standpoint. But and th- this is one thing that actually kudos, shout out to Bobby Skinner, Talking Giants pointed out, because I watched his Leo Chanel breakdown. Obviously, I'm trying to consume as much as Leo Chanel content as possible. So I love this kid and I'm rooting for him. But, you know, a couple months ago, Nick, some Giants fans were like, I want Tyler Lindenbaum at seven or at five overall or seven. Overall. I'll take him at seven overall. I don't care. Let's trade down and then lock in Tyler Lindenbaum. Obviously, cooler minds have come to the surface here. And we've realized that, look, which I've said the whole time, unless you've got a Quinton Nelson level interior guy uh, prospect as an evaluation, don't take one at in the top seven. And I didn't think Tyler Lindenbaum was anywhere close to that. And obviously the consensus started to come around to it. He's not even really mocked any. And he's a back-end first guy from the mocks I see. Some people think he might even fall to the second round. But kudos to Bobby Skinner because I saw this in his breakdown. Leo Chanel gave Tyler Linderbaum a hell of a lot of trouble when he matched up against Iowa as a blitzer. And that was just something, and even as a run defender. And, and I got to tell you, when you're giving a guy who's potentially going to be a first-round pick on the offensive line and viewed widely as the best center in this draft class, when you're giving him a lot of trouble, well, I can look at that and I can say, this gives me a good idea that you can project and translate to the next level. Yeah, I know. They're like the same weight, so I'm not too shocked that he gave him <laughs> that he gave him trouble. No, nah, Linderbaum like that. 250 pound Tyler Linderbaum. <laughs> yeah, no, he's uh he's light in the pants for sure. I haven't gotten to his tape yet. I saw the Iowa film with Wisconsin. I didn't see the Bobby breakdown. But uh, Linderbaum, he's he's gonna be a good athletic type of center, but the top ten talk is just ridiculous. Teams are gonna look at a 290 pound guy and be like, I don't think I could just that's a that's a pick that if I make and he doesn't work out, like I'm getting fired because he's such an outlier. Jason Kelsey did it, but that was a later round pick. Like and he is nowhere near as athletic as Jason Kelsey. Jason Kelsey is the most athletic center I've ever watched. Yeah, Kelsey is freaking freaky, man. Now, Linderbaum's good, but like again, like not not there. Like that's not not where not where giant fans used to we're not giant fans, just like the draft in general when this whole process started. A lot of people were saying top 10. That's just uh, too aggressive for for a lot of people. Without a doubt. I'm, not, I'm definitely not on that train. But, yeah. I mean, look, Leo Chanel, Nick, he's going to be my top target at 36 overall. So let me ask you this. Do you like the idea of Chanel at 36 overall? Or is that too rich for your blood? I like the idea. But it all depends on who else is available because I'm sure I'm going to like other players more. And this kind of goes back to why I would like a trade. It's such, oh, I say it so much, man. It's such a fascinating conversation because you'd like a trade back, but at the same time, you think about the prospects of possibly getting freaking Kayvon Thibodeau and Evan Neal at five and seven. It's like, oh, bro, do I actually want to trade back? Because that is a situation that you would fall in love with. And then, uh, so there's, there's a, my mind's in so many different areas, but let's just focus on what you asked. If Leo Chanel is at 36 and I hear his name called, will I be happy? Yes, I will be happy. I won't 
think it's a bad pick. I won't think it's too much of a reach. I think on day two for a player like that who can really, really help maximize the defense that Wink Martindale wants to put up here in New York, I can't sit there and knock it. Ideally, you want to get him in the third round, but I don't think he's making it that far. I'm a little interested to see how the NFL views somebody because he truly is very, very unique. There are not a lot of players with his size and athletic dimensions. So I'm interested to see where he ends up going. Yeah, I don't know necessarily if the NFL will view him as a third round talent. And I don't think ideally you do want to get him in the third round. I think it's, I don't think it's happening. I just don't think he's too unique of a prospect in my mind to be to to make it out of the top 50 picks. Just my opinion. We'll see what happens there. But I'll be very surprised if he does make it out of the top 50 picks. I think he's well worth a top 36 pick. I think PFF has him as 35 on their draft board. I don't think Daniel Jeremiah has him as a top 50 prospect for what it's worth. But the prospect for me of Leo of adding Leo Chanel and Kayvon Thibodeau to that, or even, you know, players we're going to get to who we like, like Walker and Jermaine Johnson, adding two of those guys to your second level on what's already on this defense with Blake Martinez returning with potentially Bradbury and and Xavier McKinney. Like you're, I'm looking at what could be a potential top five, top 10 defense at worst, like right away, almost in my mind, or if not by the end of the season. And then like, look, we're looking at this giant team long-term, but if you have such an elite defense, you're going to win some football games early on. And then in the next season. So I just love the potential upside of adding those two bulls to your defense. Those two guys who could just fire downhill and provide you so much in the pass rushing game and so much on those third and long situations. But I do want to ask you this, because you said he's probably not going to be your top pick at 36 overall. Well, who right now would you be looking at that could actually be on the board there at 36 that you would rather have over Leo Chanel? Right now, with all the picks that were invested in the offensive line, I still think if Zion Johnson was there, you should consider someone like that. I think one of the safeties can be considered there. I don't know if I would have it probably as high as Leo Chanel, but adding someone like a Daxton Hill from Michigan is something that does entice me. He's somewhat of more of a nickel. He played more safety in Don Brown's defense, but for Mike McDonald, he was more of that overhang nickel. But his just man-covered skills, I think, also meshes very well with Martindale, not to mention Mike McDonald was coaching under Martindale, so it's probably an easier transition terminology-wise. I can't prove that, but just kind of theorizing there. So I think that's somebody who I probably have ranked higher than Chanel that I would consider. Um and then uh, there are other players that could possibly fall. But all in all, I do like Chanel at 36, but I can't seal it in there just because I don't know who's going to fall. I like Daxon Hill a lot too. And there are some interesting names as well. Like Nick Benito, I think, has some potential insane because his bend is crazy off the edge. So I think he's like, but I just like the uniqueness of what he brings to the table. Yeah. plus the guarantee in my mind that he's immediately going to be an impact run defender. I mean, look, when you're in a class with Ruben Foster and Mika Parsons, you just don't fail from a run defense standpoint. Now, the pass rush stuff is more projection. I mean, he was a really good pass rusher last year, and he definitely fits this Giants defense super well, but it is somewhat of a projection. And like you said, there are still some limitations and some drawbacks with him from a lateral standpoint, lateral agility, lateral athleticism standpoint, and pass coverage. Some people make the argument that you should never take an off-ball linebacker this side. Let's say there's a position of greater need that drops. Maybe you want to take him. Maybe Bernard Raymond drops. Or, you know, I like him a lot. And I think he could be a really good player at the next level despite his advanced age. Maybe a George Karloftis randomly drops. And they're like, well, this is just too good value. We'll always remember that Xavier McKinney, who was a lock first-round pick, 
dropped the Giants around the same range. And they said, you know what? We may have had other guys on our board like in at the time, the Aaliyah Chenault type, but we can't take him because Xavier McKinney's still on the board for some reason. So let's take him. So obviously that could be the case. And so I don't want to rule any of that out. But as far as like, you know, if things go according to plan or what we're expecting, he'll definitely be atop my board as one of the players I would most want them to draft at 36 overall. Yeah, and I, I can't hate that because I do really appreciate his game. And I think he can translate that pass rushing ability to the NFL. There's just a lot of, yeah, he doesn't exactly know what he's doing with his hands, but he always positions himself. And like I said earlier, he takes smart paths. He knows how to adapt mid-play. His reactionary quickness is very, very quick. It's very, very efficient. It's something that doesn't slow him down. And this is still a younger football player. I think you get the right coaches with him. He's going to be an impact player in the NFL. For sure, for sure. All right, that's it for us today on the Big Blue Banter Podcast. Actually, let's end this thing right now with one question from the listeners. I don't know if the iTunes reviews are just not coming in right now, but I'm not seeing them like I used to. The last one was from, I believe, early March. So if you're sending iTunes reviews with questions, I do apologize. They're just not showing up. You can DM and we'll and we'll dive into it. But Client9 asks, gentlemen, draft season has been the most compelling part of the year for the Giants fans for almost a decade now. But fortunately sure. for us listeners... Also, where do you guys uh, – it's also where you guys do your best work. Well, thank you. Thank you, my friend. As you go through your evals, I'm curious if you think the Giants might surprise us all and take a run at drafting Malik Willis. He said in quotations, I agree with Dan that if we aren't making a Super Bowl run with Jones behind center, what's the point of investing in him long term? Does Willis have that kind of upside, and should he be in consideration? So I think it's something that could happen. I don't necessarily think it will happen. And I think the upside is there. It depends on if you value him and think that he can transition to the NFL and pick up on all the difficult concepts that are going to be thrown at him since he played in Hugh Freeze's offense. Can he adapt to that transition in play? Can he adapt to the new offense? Seems like a lot of people believe that he can. I think he has all of the physical ability in terms of arm strength, in terms of athletic ability. He's thickly, densely built. So I think he's a good runner of the football. But there's going to be a lot of work. I don't think it's going to happen right away. And I don't know if the Giants right now, with all the holes they have in their offense, if they're going to value him as highly as some of these other prospects who can really help kind of replenish this team, get them on track for a quarterback selection later. Because there are holes in Malik Willis's game from a mental processing standpoint. There's some of those interceptions. They were just very, very, because I watched all of his interceptions. A lot of them were guys coming from the backside that he just did not anticipate. A lot of the time he was just rolling away from the pocket. And extemporizing what you like to see. You like someone who can extend the play, but the not the lack of feel for those backside defenders was something that was a little concerning to me. Can that be coached out? Sure. But are the Giants in the position to handle this prospect who is somewhat of a project? I'm not fully there right now. Yeah, and this is good timing here, Client 9, because I just did a Malik Willis draft profile for CBS Sports. Now, it is a fantasy football profile, but it's actually just a full scouting report profile. I watched... Uh, three more games from 2021. I'd already watched five games from 2020. I have eight games. I feel good about it. The scouting report uh, includes my strengths, my weaknesses, advanced stats that I dug up on him, my overall evaluation, and obviously how he fits in fantasy football landscape, both from a redraft and dynasty standpoint, if any of you are interested from that. So it's good timing. I'll say this about Willis. The question you're asking here is, does he have the upside and should he be in consideration? The upside is obviously there. 
I think he has more upside. He can be argued that he has more upside than any quarterback that's come into this draft since Lamar Jackson. Now we're just talking upside, right? That's just what that is. And why do I say that? Because he's not only just a capable runner. He's an absolute weapon as a runner. He had 89 broken tackles last year, more than any player in college football, including running backs. That's insane to even think about. And when you watch the tape, he's dynamic as a runner in the open field. He's creative. He cuts on a dime. and You see three defenders being frozen and going the opposite direction. He breaks tackles in addition to cutting on a dime and being creative. He has speed. He has burst. He has the ability to escape and turn nothing. Sometimes when he shouldn't be escaping, by the way, because he just doesn't go through his reads fast enough and he just chooses to escape, which we'll get to in a second. And so he's a total weapon as a runner. And then as a thrower, the ball jumps out of his hands. And he shows some examples of just the unreal combination of trajectory, uh, ball placement, and velocity on some of his vertical throws. I think he does some of his best work on some of those out and ups that were a big part of the Hugh Free system. I saw him make some throws out of the RPO game, which will be an immediate. Like, if you draft him, you're immediately using RPO with him. You're immediately using zone read. <laughs> Liberty actually used him on zone power or, or power read which was crazy to see. And like, obviously they're not going to do it the next level. And they use them a lot in the red zone as, as like a power runner, power read runner, but his ability from RPO to take whole shots and just drive the ball into these tight windows. It's tantalizing. Like he has the arm talent combination with the insane athleticism as a runner and weaponry as a one runner. But with all that said, while I think the upside is there. And I think if you have the right coordinator, he can design an offense that hides some of his weaknesses there were so many alarming things on his film that I saw. The first and most obvious that I went over in my profile is there were way too many examples of him not being able to diagnose the free rusher and just totally not getting to his hot read fast enough. That's alarming as hell for me. That's something I saw with Daniel Jones at Duke. That's something Daniel Jones still struggles with at the NFL level. But this is at a much worse level than what you've seen from Daniel Jones. There's also plenty of examples on his film of the Daniel Jones stare down your first receiver, what you expect to be there, and just keep looking there. There's also examples on Malik Wilson's film of him just bailing from pockets way too soon. Now, part of the problem is Liberty had an unbelievably bad offensive line, Nick. People talk about that Duke offensive line as it was bad with Daniel Jones. This is next-level bad offensive line. This is a step up in badness. Like, he just didn't trust them at all. They were getting beat so early, so often, especially on the interior in the film I watched of Willis. So I get that's partially why he's bailing from pockets, but it's a bad habit. He also took an incredibly high sack rate, which is a bad habit, too. And, you know, Seth Walder, like I talked about in the last podcast, did some good work showing some of these guys who take a lot of sacks. It translates to the NFL level. It's not only an offensive line stat. So I have a lot of issues with his processing, his inability to read hot, his, his decision making as far as bailing from pockets too early, Nick. And then that doesn't even discuss some other issues, the ball placement. Like, I don't know if it's a footwork thing, because a lot of the times he's kind of like taking an extra hitch or kind of up on his toes. But. They're, the ball placement is just off in a lot of spots. Like you'll just see him miss throws that he should not be missing. Sometimes on the run, he's missing throws. And then sometimes on the run, he's making insane throws, like crazy stuff you don't even see from anyone, but maybe like a Justin Herbert, Patrick, he has like Patrick Mahomes types throws on the run at times, but then he just misses. Like there was a play in the red zone against Syracuse at the end of the game that I was watching um, when they lost, you know, they're trying to make a comeback where he rolls out right and by the design of the play and the receiver hasn't insane good route against the corner and creates separation and breaks toward the pylon inside the end zone and he throws low on the run and just misses a wide open guy where he could just kind of lob that ball up and it's a touchdown and so 
There's plenty of examples of the ball placement being off. I think when he gets it, when he kind of like throws from that wide, from that base and, and drives the ball, it's unbelievable. The ball jumps out, but there's just too much about his game that I'm concerned with. And I just feel like there's a better, there's going to be better prospects available for the giants at some point. I guess that's kind of why I'm not down with Willis at five or seven right now. I don't know if that's going to change Nick, but yeah, man, I, I definitely think the upside's there. Client nine. If you want to take that risk, I think Dable could do it, but I, I just don't think I'm in it. I'm in it for the, uh, for Willis right now. Yeah. I think we're in agreement with that. And again, I, I if they make that selection, I'm going to dive very, very deep into the film. It seems like you did, Dan. From what I've seen, there's definitely warts that aren't discussed because he went to his pro day and threw the football far, which we all should have known he was going to do anyways. <laughs> yeah, the pro day stuff is so pointless. I mean, it's not totally pointless, but look, it doesn't show. It doesn't, you know, look at Zach Wilson. He's a perfect example. I had an unreal pro day. Played behind that sick OBYU offensive line in that crap conference, got the NFL, and a lot of those people, those issues that people said, the footwork, it's going to take a while. I still am a believer in Zach Wilson, but he's going to have to break some really bad habits that he's developed. And I think Willis is the exact same thing. He's going to have to break some bad habits. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. And that's not easy to do, by the way. It's not very easy sometimes for these quarterbacks to break bad habits. Like, and sometimes it just doesn't happen. No, man. No. I mean, we've kind of seen that with Daniel Jones a little bit happen. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, we have. I mean, we've seen that definitely with Daniel Jones, in my opinion. Some of the again, he's done a little bit better job in some ways. In my mind, the really only tangible way he's improved has been avoiding sacks. But ultimately, there's still a lot that hasn't improved from that Duke level. And it's going to take time or it just doesn't happen. Right. It just may never happen for some of these guys. Which is unfortunate, man. I mean, especially in Daniel Jones's case, he got hamstrung with Jason Garrett for two years and, and didn't really have the best shake. But at the same time, you'll look at his skill set in totality. And I, I don't see one of those Justin Herbert type of guys, but you know, I, I still hope the best and I hope he becomes a really good backup somewhere. If it doesn't work out here in New York. Yeah. And he's still going to have his one. Ch- he's going to have one more chance here. So we'll see what he can do with an improves, hopefully improve offensive line, hopefully improve offensive system as well. But that's all we have today on the big blue bander podcast. Thank you again so much for tuning in. This is only the start of the final stretch run before the draft. We're hoping to do at least a podcast a day as we did last year. That was kind of crazy. We never thought we would do it. And then we ended up doing it. We're like, that was not only fun, but people appreciate it. So we're going to do the same this year. Thank you so much for always being so consistent with your downloads, with listening, with interacting with us. Makes it worth it for us. And it makes us want to do more. So have a great rest of your week. And we'll talk to you soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. 
Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.